0: Well, for those of you who don't know me, uh, my name is Daniel Bennett. I'm the, the teaching pastor here at Bethany Community Church. Uh, at least no one has informed me anything different since since being back. Uh, for those of you who may be newer to our church, uh, welcome. I look forward to, to getting to, to know you. I've been very grateful for the time that, that God has given us uh, on sabbatical here and excited to be back uh, this morning. Uh, a lot of you have asked, how did sabbatical go? And that's just a, such a huge, huge question, so it's, it's hard to to answer it very quickly. The, the short answer is that it was it was awesome. There were some things that were, were just, uh, God was very gracious in our time while we were gone. There were some some things that were just a lot of fun. There were some things that were really hard but good. And uh, the bottom line is, is I think that our, our ministry is stronger. I know that our... Our family relationships are stronger than they've ever been by by God's grace, and so uh, we're very grateful for the the time that we we had. In fact, I probably spent a little bit longer here in the introduction than than normal, but I I think that's okay occasionally. Um, There's just a lot of things I'm I'm thankful for as I think about the time that we were gone. I'm I'm thankful for such a gracious church that uh, wanted me to be gone. Uh, in a good way. And so you were just very kind in, in notes that you sent to us while we were gone or when we came back. And, and I'm just very thankful to God for such a, an incredibly gracious and, and kind church. I'm, I'm thankful for the, the staff that God has provided our church, both pastoral staff, associate pastors, and ministry staff. And uh, one of the things I saw while I was gone is that uh, you know, it's, it's not that rare to have a, a solid a senior pastor or teaching pastor, but it's it's much more rare, I think, to have a solid, excellent associate pastors and ministry staff, and our, our church has been blessed with, with both, and so I'm very grateful to that. And, and even more rare is to have uh, incredible incredible uh, lay elders and, and shepherds of the church, and just seeing how uh, how gifted our, our lay elders and shepherds are was, was very encouraging. and You know, I'm also thankful for how healthy our church is. Um, if you said, Daniel, what was the, the biggest takeaway from your, your time gone, it would, it would probably be just just incredible gratefulness to God at how healthy Bethany Community Church is. One of the places that we visited was Atlanta. We spent a couple days there, and we went to the uh, Atlanta... Uh, Uh, centennial olympic park where they had the 96 olympics kind of headquarters of the 96 olympics and there's in the in the park there's this fountain that that shoots up this you know water these little water jets that shoot up water and kids playing and then a couple times a day three or four times a day there's a, a water show with music and There's this time where our family was in the park and we knew that the water show was about to start, so we went over there and we we watched it and it started late and I was kind of thinking about that and then the music was off and I kind of was thinking about that and they had to restart it and then I noticed that some of the water jets weren't quite firing on time, and some of them were turned off, and some of them seemed to be broken, and, and I'm, I just have a lot of questions about this, this show, and I notice off to the side, there's these kids watching, and I notice off to the side, there's a maintenance guy, and it looks like his supervisor are over there, and so I, I think, you know, I just, I just got to know some things about this thing, and so I, I walk over, and I I start asking some questions, like, okay, how how many days a year does this thing go, 365? Okay, tell me, how do you... Uh, it seems like some things are broken over there. How do you fix them? What do you? Using? And um, I could tell that I was starting to annoy the maintenance guy, who was the only person talking to me about it. the supervisor. I, he started annoyed at me, and uh, then the, the maintenance guy kind of just I could tell I had about one question left. So I thought, okay, this, this is the question I, I really want to know because I'm thinking about all the things that are wrong with this, this display and how much it, it probably takes to, to fix it and, and just the hassle of it. And so I said, well, okay, just, just tell me this and then I'll leave you alone. Out of 365 days a year, how many times does this thing work perfectly? I mean, is it, is it kind like of like once a year you get everything that comes together right or is it never? I mean, it just seems like really stressful to me just watching your job here. And the, the, su- the supervisor uh, says, his, the only thing he says to me the whole con- conversation, he interrupts the maintenance guy and goes, it works perfectly, 365 out of 365 days. <laughs> and I understood his point. I think what he's saying there is, look, look, look around you, guy. I mean, look at all the kids who are enjoying this. Look at just, you know, everyone else in this entire park is enjoying the water display except you and you're bothering us, you know. Now, I would argue with the word perfect, but I understood this point. It didn't work perfectly 365 days. But as I, as I walked away, I thought, you know, um, there, there's, some, there's some things to be learned here. Um, I think when I'm in the, the daily, when I've been in the, the kind of day-to-day, thinking about the church and thinking about the different ministries and thinking about families and thinking about my own ministry and you know, it's, it's easy to say, boy, we could, this, we could fix this, and we can fix this, and we can fix this, and this is something we can prove, and we can, And that's, that's, that's a personality thing. Some sinful aspects of it, some God-redeeming things, I, I hope. But, but the beauty of the sabbatical is I was able to kind of step back, step back from the water fountain a little bit, and just see the overall health of the church and just be very grateful to God for what he's doing here at Bethany Community Church. And, and by his grace, we'll continue to do so I'm thankful for the, the church, the staff, the, the lay elders, thankful for the, the health of the church. Um, I'm thankful that I don't have to watch any more 4D movies for a while. Um, it seems like every place we went, there'd be some 4D movie, which is basically a 3D movie that they, and they escort you with water, which I am so, I can't tell you how sick I am of being sprayed in the face while watching a movie. I don't know whose idea that was, but please, if you have any influence, stop that. I don't, I don't get it. I've never heard anyone say, "You know what? That move was great, but what I needed was someone to squirt me in the face," <laughs> while I watched it. I just don't get it. So uh, I'm thankful for that. Well, I want to talk about Colossians 1, uh, verses 24 through 29 over the, the next couple weeks. And so, if you would turn in your Bibles uh, there to Colossians chapter 1, you know I'm going to. T- I've really wrestled. Over the last few weeks, and, and this week was a tough week, just kind of getting back into the groove of things and, and thinking about how I want to share god 's word with you this morning i 'm going to present some things from the first person over the next few weeks as we, we talk about this passage and. And I, is that okay, I wondered this week, and it seems very self-centered, and so I certainly don't want to do that, but, but Paul uses the first person singular here, he says I, I, and he's talking about his ministry, and so I think it's okay over the next few weeks to, to present some things from my perspective to talk to you about my ministry, not only that you understand kind of what I've been thinking about the last few weeks, but it, but it keeps me accountable for the time that I was on sabbatical. And, and I think it also may help you as you think about your ministry. And, and I don't want to presume to, to know what God is doing in your life and, and what he's doing through your ministry, but as I, as I talk about some of the things that God has done in my life as I th- in context of this passage, I hope it will prove helpful to you uh, by God's grace. So we're here in Colossians chapter one. By the way, you probably remember the things that uh, Ben shared a few weeks ago regarding Colossians. Uh, Colossae was a church that we believe was was founded by um, a man named Epaphras. It's a city there in Asia Minor, and we think that Epaphras went to Ephesus when Paul was there from 52 to 55 A.D. And and sometime in that time frame, Epaphras learns from Paul and his ministry. He goes back to Colossae and uh, begins to share the gospel there, and that's how the church started. And there's some sort of heretical issue that's affecting the church in Colossae, and we don't know exactly what that issue is. We know that somehow it was related to, to legalism and to ascetic lifestyle practices, that somehow if we live in a very ascetic way, we kind of live in this legalistic way, that, that somehow we can be found acceptable to God. And, and we don't know exactly how that entered the church. We don't know who was teaching that. But what we do know with, with great clarity is what Paul believes the solution to this heresy is. The solution is the gospel. As Ben talked about a, a few weeks ago, the gospel begins with understanding who Jesus Christ is and, and the, the beauty of Jesus Christ, and Paul is now going to talk about here in verses 24 through 29 his ministry and how he became a minister of the gospel of Christ and what he believes his goal is. And hopefully as I, I share these things with you, you'll be encouraged as you think about your task in sharing the gospel, your task and being faithful to the things that God has called you to do for his glory. So if you would, uh, if you're able to this morning, stand with me as we read Colossians chapter 1, verses 24 through 29, and we'll talk about this passage and and what I learned about my ministry, and you can learn about your ministry uh, from my sabbatical. Here's verse 24, here's what Paul writes. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, remember Paul is in prison here about 60 AD, God, encourage us through his word this morning. Uh, Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the ministry of of gospel proclamation that you've given to us. How as as stewards of this mystery, we have the ability to to proclaim your will and your love to the world. Father, I thank you for Bethany Community Church and its uh, faithful love for you. Thank you for the, the love that this church has shown me and, and my family and, and others. We ask that you would just be very, very gracious to us. The blessings that we have, uh, we understand, are, are not uh, based upon our, our own worthiness, but just upon your grace, your undeserved favor upon us, and we ask for that continued grace. We pray for those uh, this week who are hurting pray for those who are hurting emotionally. You would encourage them through that. You would cause their hearts and eyes to continue to turn toward you. We we pray for those uh, who are um, undergoing uh, medical procedures or or are going to be in the hospital this week for for various reasons. We just think of a few of those and and ask for your your grace and and mercy upon them and and give them uh, health and well-being. We pray for those who have lost loved ones, and we ask for your grace in in, uh, ministering to them and to families. Open your word to us, we pray, in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen. So over the next uh, few weeks, there's a a few things that I want to to share with you from uh, Colossians chapter 1, and then these are things that Uh, I want to be true of my ministry over the next seven years for sure, and and if if the Lord allows uh, in the next 30 years, you know, as I kind of been thinking about my ministry over the last few weeks, I've I've thought, well, you know, this is a, again, big picture. This isn't a a one-year journey. It's not a six-month journey. Uh, If the Lord allows, uh, I I could be the, the one of the pastors at Bethany, a leader at Bethany, for, for 40 years. I came here when I was just 30, and so you know, if the Lord allows me 40 years or so of ministry, if he doesn't return first and gives me health and, and well-being, then, then this, is a, this is a long journey we're on together. And as, these are some things that I've, I've recommitted to as I, as I think about the ministry that God has called me to. That the first thing is I think about what I want for my ministry from Colossians chapter 1. The first thing is that I, I want to suffer... For your sake. In fact, let me just kind of go through all three of these and give you kind of a, a roadmap for, for where we're headed. The first thing, as I think about my ministry, is I want to suffer for your sake. I, I want to uh, recommit myself to the difficult task of gospel ministry proclamation for your sake. The second thing that we're going to see as we go through this in the coming weeks is that this I, I, I want to proclaim the beauty of Jesus Christ through the teaching of the Word. I want my ministry to be characterized by proclaiming the beauty of Jesus Christ as I teach his word. And we're going to look at that more next week as we see Paul describing his ministry and says, Look, I, I just want to present Christ to you and his his beauty and his splendor. Uh, the passage that Ben covered talks about the the mag the magnificence of Jesus Christ. And I want my ministry and the ministry of teaching at Bethany Community Church to be marked by a proclamation of the beauty of Jesus Christ as we come to his word together. And Finally, finally I want to present every person complete in Jesus Christ. As we think about our, our journey together over the years that God grants us, however long that may be, I want the, the fruit of that, that you and I present one another by God's grace, complete in Jesus Christ. We'll talk about what that looks like in a few weeks as well. well let's, let's start with this, this first one, I want to suffer for your sake. And it's here from verse 24 that I, that I get this idea, and I've been thinking through what this looks like in my ministry. And let me read to you again what, what Paul says. And, and what I'm doing here is I, as I think about this is I'm, I'm recommitting myself to, to shepherding the church of Bethany Community Church, the sheep here, despite whatever cost that might incur. And I I say I want to. It might be more accurate strictly to say I want to want to. uh, But uh, nevertheless, here's what Paul says in verse 24. He says, Now, I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church. Now, why... Would I want to suffer for you? Why would you want to suffer for me? Why would one want to suffer for another? Here are three reasons that I think we see here in verse 24. The first is this I want to suffer for your sake because suffering for you is gain for me. Suffering for you in the ministry of gospel proclamation is, is gain for me, it benefits me, it's a good deal. Look at the first part of verse 24 again. Look, look what Paul writes. He says, Now I, I rejoice in my sufferings. I, I rejoice in my sufferings. What, what does he mean there, I, I rejoice in my sufferings? Well, rejoice means to be in a, a state of happiness or, or well-being. Uh, sufferings here refers to, to misfortune, to, to that which is endured. It refers to those things you wouldn't want to befall you. And Paul, as, as he suffers, he's right now writing this in prison, he's suffered emotionally. He's suffered spiritually. He's felt the attack of satanic and worldly opposition. He's suffered physically. He's in prison. He's suffered beatings and all sorts of things for the sake of the gospel. And he says, now, I rejoice in my sufferings. I rejoice in those bad things that have befallen me. And catch this too. The suffering that Paul is talking about, it isn't just uh, you know, I rejoice in the, the bad things that have happened to me, or I rejoice that, that sometimes life is tough. He's not just some guy who enjoys bad things happening, but he says, I, I rejoice in my sufferings. And in the context here, he's talking about sufferings that are endured while proclaiming the gospel. So, I've been proclaiming the gospel, I've been proclaiming who Jesus Christ is, this mystery that has now been revealed, and as I have been proclaiming the gospel and and teaching the good news about Jesus Christ, I've suffered, and I rejoice in those sufferings, those sufferings that have befallen me as a result of gospel proclamation. Now, he rejoices in that, it's it's gain for him. Suffering for you is gain for me. How? How? Why is suffering, suffering that takes place as a result of a decision to be obedient to Christ and follow him in ministry, why is that beneficial? Why is it beneficial for bad things, seemingly bad things to happen to you? Here's a couple thoughts. Here's a couple thoughts about how I gain in suffering for others. One is, when I suffer, I prove that I've been united with Christ. Paul and Barnabas, as they engage in the, the ministry of, of gospel proclamation, they they quote the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah, they quote Isaiah forty nine six. This is in Acts thirteen forty seven. They they say, "I have made." They quote, this is what God says: "I have made you a light for the Gentiles." Now, Paul and Barnabas apply that to their ministry, but Isaiah was talking about the Messiah. In other words, Paul and Barnabas are saying that the ministry that Jesus had is now our ministry. Listen to how it's described in, in Philippians. Philippians chapter 3, uh, this, is, this is a beautiful passage. Listen to what, what Paul says here. He says, Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ the righteousness from God that depends on faith. And then he says in verse 10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his what? Do you know? Share in his sufferings, that's right. Becoming like him in his death. (coughs) Suffering for you is gain for me because it allows me to to prove that I've been united with Christ, that, that I identify with him, that my message is his message. One of the places that we went in Atlanta is the the Jimmy Carter Presidential Museum and Library. And throughout the sabbatical, our kids did a a great job. And, And there were times where people would come up to us and say, are these your children? And I would say, why, yes, they are. And they would say, they are so lovely and so wonderful. And I would say, I know, I know, thank you. But at the Jimmy Carter Presidential Library and Museum, Uh, A security guard came up to me, and she said, uh, "Are these your children?" And I said, "Why?" (laughs) She said, "Well, they were running around uh, playing tag, which we frown upon." I said, "No, these are not my children, but I saw them over the parents over there, and I will take them." (laughs) No, they—they've been running around some room that listed was like the accomplishments of Jimmy Carter. It's a very small room. But um I didn't want to be identified with my children quite at that moment, right? I was like, you know, it's fun to be identified with my children whenever people are saying how wonderful they are, that the bad times you kinda of want to distance yourself. It's different with suffering. You see, sometimes it says, I want to be one with Christ. We talked about this as we went through the epistles of John, first, second, and third John. I, yeah, I want to be, I want to be uh, identified with Jesus. I'm in him. I receive all the rewards of, of, of eternal life, and I, I have all the, the blessings of, of being uh, in him and, and these, this inheritance that's in him and, and the peace with God that comes through being united in Christ. And I have Christ's righteousness. And, and sometimes what we think is, well, I want to be identified with those things, the good things, but the suffering is the bad thing, and so I don't want to be identified with Christ in that. I don't want to be one with him in, in, in that area. But here's what Paul is saying in Philippians, and what he's saying here when he says in Colossians 1.24, I'm rejoicing. He says, look, suffering isn't a bad thing, because as I suffer, the, the things that, that God brings in my life that I have to suffer through, I, I'm able to put up against Jesus Christ and say, okay, here's Christ, here's this thing, and as I, as I suffer, it shows that this thing isn't as valuable as Jesus Christ, and I come to be united with him in a greater way, And I begin to see his beauty more and more. Paul says, all these other things are rubbish. So there's the the reputation of other people, and I I suffer that as I follow Christ. And that that gets moved away. And I understand the the value of Christ more. There's these things, there's there's financial things that that come up and it costs me to follow Christ. I say, you know what? That's, That's nothing compared to Jesus Christ. I rejoice in suffering for your sake, Because suffering for you is gained for me. I gain an understanding of my unity with Christ. I realize, another way that it benefits me is it helps me realize that God is pleased with me. I've I've been counted worthy to suffer. The the apostles in Acts 5.41 suffer as they proclaim the name of Jesus Christ. And it says in Acts 5.41, they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. I receive a reward when I suffer. Matthew 5:10 Jesus says, "Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. As I suffer, I I just I grow in Christ." I grow in Christ. Second Corinthians four ten through twelve. I'm always carrying in me the body of the the in the in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. I want to suffer for your sake because suffering for you is gained for me. Now, now here's, a, here's a question that you might have as we, we come to, to, to this, this principle. You might be wondering, okay, well, Daniel, how, how does suffering manifest itself in your life? You know, if you're thinking about your sabbatical and committing yourself to suffering, um, how does suffering manifest itself in your life? I thought about what I could share here. Um, as I thought about it, it's kind of a personal question. I can't believe you asked it. Um, I thought, you know, it might be more helpful. Uh, you know, frankly, I don't want to be, uh, I don't want to seem to, to complain about light, momentary afflictions. And I thought it might be more helpful to, to share with you some experiences of, of other people um, that I read about while I was on sabbatical, <laughs> things that I'm thinking through. And some of these things, uh, resonate with me. One book that I read while I was on sabbatical was a book by D.A. Carson. D.A. Carson's a professor at Trinity in uh, Deerfield, Illinois, and, and he's a you know, prestigious scholar. and His dad was a pastor, pastored small churches in uh, Canada. And D.A. Carson wrote a book about his dad that I read on sabbatical. Very impactful, about faithful ministry. The book was called Memoirs of an Ordinary Pastor. And in the book, one of the sections that Carson wrote about his dad's struggle were these times of deep depression that his his father went through as he was engaged in gospel ministry. He was overwhelmed by the task of of gospel ministry. And he, uh, D.A. Carson writes this, he says, my dad surveyed his life sometimes through through negative filters. He recalled how hard and honorably worked before he went to seminary and now he was worried that he hadn't been faithful he quotes his dad his dad wrote in his journal i've accomplished nothing i don't have the missionary spirit i don't need to have i need to have i don't have the evangelist passion he, he looked at the task before me and says i'm discouraged this is but this says this but i'm trying to put quitting entirely out of my mind And Carson goes on and describes his dad as he he wrestled with the reality of the overwhelmingness of ministry. His dad said the ministry is so open-ended that no one ever feels that all the possible work has been done or at least is done as well as one might like. One time, Don D.A. Carson asked his dad, why don't you go to some part of the world where there'd be more fruit? His dad said this, He said, I stay, he says, I stay because I believe God has many people in this place. Referring to to God's words to Paul about his Corinthian ministry. I've called many people here. D.A. Carson's dad grounded his perseverance in in the doctrine of election. He was worthy to suffer for others' sake because it was gained to him. I talked to one pastor uh, this uh, over sabbatical and a uh, very faithful man just done fa- years of faithful ministry and so I wanted to glean from him and I wanted to hear these these amazing you know just here's how I've triumphed and and he was just in, incredibly humble. He's been at his church since 1993. I said, "Wow, that's that's an amazing longevity of ministry." He says, "Yes, I've been preaching every Sunday since 1993." And resigned every Monday since 1993. <laughs> it resonated with me. I understand that. It's a difficult ministry that God has called each of us to. And here's here's one thing I've I've thought about and and, and maybe be helpful for you, maybe not, but 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 the, the difficulties that God has called us to in ministry are, are beneficial for us. And God's call to us is to continue to persevere so that we continue to understand the beauty of Jesus Christ. He takes away everything from us so that all, as we sing already, all we have is Christ. So I I want to suffer. I I want to want to suffer for you, and it's one of the things I've thought about and one of the things we see here from this passage. But I want to do that because it's good for me, but I also want to suffer because suffering for you is gain for you. Suffering for you is gain for you. Now listen to what Paul says next. So, verse twenty-four, he says, "I rejoice in my sufferings." And and then, what he says next, he says, "I rejoice in my sufferings." Look at the text for your sake. And then he says, "And in my flesh, that's in my body, as as I endure whatever difficulties I'm enduring, I'm filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of His body." Now, now, what does that mean? That's a very uh, difficult phrase. There, I'm filling up what is lacking. To fill up here means to, to supplement. And there's this idea of lack. There's this state of, of something needing something more. And so Paul says, I'm, I'm filling that up. I'm, I'm completing that which is lacking. And he says, lacking in afflictions. Afflictions there means distress or, or tribulation. So you use this word, you, it's a word that's used 45 times in the New Testament. Now some have taken this passage and say, okay, well, what does this mean? And for example, our, our Roman Catholic friends come to colossians one twenty four I, I believe they understand this this word in a a very wrong way that that helps that, that doesn 't help understand the, the gospel clearly, so they 've come to this passage and it might say this they say well uh, christ 's afflictions weren 't sufficient in, in the sense of being able to obtain the certainty of salvation and so Paul wants to attain eternal life, and so he, he fills up what 's lacking he suffers so that so that people's sins can be dealt with more fully, so that there can be a, a greater assurance of eternal life. And, and I don't think that's what Paul is saying at all. In fact, if you think about what we talked about here a few weeks ago about the sufficiency of Christ and who Christ is, look at just a few verses earlier. Uh, Paul says in verse 20, through Jesus Christ, God reconciled to himself all things. So how did he reconcile to himself all things? Well, through Christ not through ourselves, through our works. It says he reconciled to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by what? By our works? No, making peace by the blood of the cross. You go into chapter 2, and look what we see in chapter 2. In chapter 2, he's talking about Jesus Christ, and says in verse 3, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. So where are all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge found in Jesus Christ? He's completely sufficient. His work on the cross is all that is needed in order to obtain salvation, all that's needed to purchase redemption for us. Nothing else is needed. So if that's true, if Paul is not saying, he's not saying here, look, I'm I'm filling up what's lacking in Christ's afflictions so I can be sure that you're saved. I'm filling up what's lacking in Christ's afflictions so I can be sure that you'll have eternal life. If he's not saying that, what is he saying? The afflictions that he's talking about here, I believe are the expressions of hatred that the world has for Jesus Christ. And that hatred that the world has for Jesus Christ has not been completed yet. Jesus Christ's earthly ministry didn't end the world's hatred of him. Paul says, as I go about my ministry, I'm, I'm filling up what's lacking. There's going to be continued expression of, of hatred against Christ. And now as I engage in ministry, I'm, I'm suffering that. The hatred the world, the world has for Christ has not been fully expressed. There's still a desire to oppose and oppress and punish Christ and those who follow him. So how does, as so thought about this, how does my suffering benefit you? Well, it takes a burden from you, right? But it also, I believe, and this is kind of related to the idea we've talked about earlier, I believe my suffering benefits you, and your suffering benefits those that, who you minister to, because it allows us to show the people to whom we're ministering the preciousness of the gospel and its value if I wasn't willing to pay a high price to deliver the gospel message, I wonder if you'd see the the beauty of it. But as God calls me and as God calls you to encounter difficulties, we share the gospel message, the, the pricelessness of the gospel begins to be displayed in our ministries. I don't want bad things to happen to me, but I want to suffer for you for your sake if that means the beauty of the gospel and the pricelessness of the gospel is going to be grasped in a deeper way by you, because there is nothing more valuable, you can believe and know. There's a great story in the the book, Let the Nations Be Glad, and and some of you have read it. I've certainly mentioned this this story before, but it's about a Messiah warrior named Joseph who hears the gospel and places his faith in Christ. And He returns to his village, and he begins to to share the gospel with the people in his village. And to his surprise, instead of seeing the beauty of this message, they they begin to beat him. The the men hold him down, and the women begin to, to, to beat him. He's dragged from the village. They beat him with these strands of barbed wire. He's dragged from the village. He's left to die alone in the bush, and he crawls to a water hole, and Begins to recover. He realizes, well, I must have said something wrong. And so he goes back into the village a second time. He goes and he he goes in a circle of huts, begins to proclaim Jesus. And again, he's grabbed by the men of the village. He's held while the women beat him and they reopen the wounds that had just begun to heal. To live through the, to survive the first beating was truly remarkable, Piper writes. To live through the second beating was a miracle. Again, days later, he awoke in the wilderness. Joseph did bruised, scarred, and determined to go back. He returned to the small village, and this time they attacked him before he had the chance to open his mouth. As they flogged him for the third and probably the last time, the last thing he saw was that the women who were beating him began to weep third time he wakes up, this time he's in a bed, his own bed. and The ones who had so severely beaten him were now trying to save him his life and nurse him back to health. The entire village had come to Christ. And Piper writes, Surely, surely this is something of what Paul meant when he said, I fill up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body. If suffering for others means that we're able to proclaim to them the beauty and the pricelessness of the gospel, then I say we welcome it. It also, I believe, what we see here is that suffering for you is good for you, it's beneficial for you, it's gained for you, because it increases my ability to minister to you. Here's a great passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Paul says that, that we're comforted in all our afflictions so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction. In other words, I receive the comfort of Christ, and as I receive the comfort of Christ, I have the ability to comfort others with the comfort I've received, the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For if as we share abundantly in Christ's suffering, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. God brings us through, through dark times of ministry so that He'll give us greater empathy with the people we love so that we can tell them about the comfort that we receive. So, look, I went through this dark tunnel and I had no idea how I was going to get through this. I, I went through this, this time of, of difficulty in ministry, this difficulty with my family, this difficulty in just, just, just my emotions, and, and I, did, I had no idea in the midst of that how I was going to get through it. But as I continue to be faithful in sharing the gospel and in doing the ministry, God has called me to do. I receive the comfort of Christ, you can too. I was in this situation in work, and and um, it looked like I was going to lose my job. In fact, I did lose my job because I, I refused to compromise my principles, and I, I I proclaimed the name of Christ, even though you know, the, my, my employer wanted me to say something that was not true and uh, and or wanted me to, to agree to this, this thing that was wrong and I refused to do it. I lost my job and I had no idea how I was going to be able to continue to provide for my family to do the ministries at my church that God had called me to do and yet I continued to do it and God was faithful and he'll be faithful to you as well. Suffering for you is, is gain for you because it increases my ability to minister to you. It gives me greater empathy Paul says this going on in 2 Corinthians 1, he says, and this is, this is a powerful passage. L- listen, listen very carefully to what Paul says and, and believe this. If we are afflicted, and he's saying if we are afflicted, we who are engaged in, in gospel ministry to you, if we are afflicted, if God sovereignly decides that, that I'm to go through a time of suffering, why? He says, if we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and your salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. What have I learned on my sabbatical? You know, one of the things I've learned is is how inconsequential I am. And I don't mean that with with false modesty. I'm a plug and play. God could put another guy up here like that. The things that happened to me are for the glory of God and for the benefit of the people he's brought into my life. The comfort that Daniel received isn't about Daniel, it's about others. And and you can put your name there as well. It's not about me. It's about the glory of, of Christ being manifested through me for your sake. And the same is true for you and me. You minister to me as well. But I didn't learn about that on sabbatical or think about it as much. Here's, here's the third thing I want us to think about. Last thing is this, and I, I, won't, get all, I won't get all the way into this. I'll, I'll touch on this a little bit more next week because I want to give us some time to prepare our hearts for the Lord's Supper together. But the third thing is this. Suffering for you is gain for me, suffering for you is gain for you, suffering for you is gain for us. Suffering for you is gain for us. And here's what Paul says. He says, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I'm I'm filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions, and, and then look what he says, for the sake of the body, and then he says, That is the church. That word church is a word that has taken on even more beauty for me over the last seven, eight weeks as as we've been separated from this local assembly of the church. I want you to consider this this breathtaking reality from 1 Corinthians 12, 26, that's here in Colossians 1 as well. Paul says. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member suffers, all suffer together. What I hope happens as I suffer for you, as God calls me to that, difficult ministries, that there becomes a greater perception in the minds of this body as to what it means to be in a community of faith. As I suffer for you, and you suffer for me, and you suffer for others, there's, there's a greater awareness of that we're in this together. This isn't just some, some social club that we're involved in. It's, it's not just some sort of activity that we do on the weekends because we have nothing better to do on a Sunday morning, but there is a reality to the struggle that we're in and a unity that, is, that we're made aware of as we suffer together. When we join a church, it's not some social club, but we're entering into a covenant. One of the books that I, I read, another book that I read on sabbatical was called The Church and the Surprising Offense of God's Love. The, the Church and the Surprising Offense of God's Love by Jonathan Lehman. And I'll talk more about this this next week, but, but l let me listen let me just read a, a couple things from what he said. He 's talking about our, our idolatrous conceptions of love, and he says, our, our ideas Well, actually I, I said this, I wrote this, but but uh, he, so I said, our, you know our ideas about love are more idolatrous than we realize and and then, and then he wrote this he said it's not difficult to see how the romantic conception of love, the romantic conception of romant, the, the uh, conception of romantic love, born out of an individual 's desire for expression and fulfillment he 's kind of talking about our cultures." Uh, obsession with romantic love. He says, it's not easy to see how that conception affects our conceptions of love in every sphere of life. Whether the conversation turns to church services, friendships, or dating, I know that you love me when you let me be myself or express myself or be the best person I can be. He says, look, that's not biblical love. God's love is a boomerang that we both love and despise. We love the embrace of the boomerang as it flies outward toward us. We We despise the demand of the boomerang as it calls us back to loving God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. We despise the suggestion that his love will cause him to judge us. God says, you shall have no other gods before me, for from me and through me and to me are all things. And we say, that's offensive. Now, again, we'll talk more about this next week, but what happens is we suffer for one another. It brings our body together. When one member suffers, all suffer. And so, as I think about the ministry that God has called each of us to, my prayer would be that we have a greater appreciation for what it means to be in a covenant community together. In fact, I'd like you to ask the men who are going to be passing out the elements of the like the communion to, to come forward. And as they do that, I, I want you to think about what Paul says in 1 Corinthians. In 1 Corinthians, uh, the, we, we see that the church in Corinth had been celebrating the Lord's Supper in a very selfish way, uh, not showing the, the beauty of, of the unity of the body of Christ. And Paul says this He says, There's factions among you. When you come together, it's not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For in eating, each one of you goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. Don't you have houses to eat and drink in? Do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And as you and I think about the task of suffering, the ministry of suffering that God has called me to, and the ministry of suffering that, that God has called you to, what we say is, look, I, I, I want to suffer. I want to suffer for your sake. I want to do this because it's gain for me. It helps me identify with Jesus Christ. and It's gain for you, and it's gain for us as a body as we come together under the name of the one who suffered for us. This is my body. It's broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, as he took the cup, Paul writes, after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, the blood of Christ's suffering. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim... The Lord's death until he comes. As we partake in the Lord's Supper together, what we're saying this morning is that we are a group bound together by the sacrificial suffering of our Lord Jesus Christ, his perfect sacrifice on the cross. And we're in this together, and we're committed to doing the the difficult things that God has called us to do in our ministries for the sake of his name and his glory. Let me pray for us. Father, we we pray that you prepare our hearts now as as we think about the the difficulties of life that you've called us to endure for the sake of the the ministry of the gospel. I pray that you would reunite our our, our passion, reignite our our passion to suffer for your sake, to suffer for the sake of of one another. Lord, I I pray that you would bring this, this church into even greater unity as we think about who your son Jesus is, and what you've called us to do. Help us to lay down our lives for each other as you've laid down your life for us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.